when I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, visit betterhelp.com slash stuff today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash stuff. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Just go to canva, C-A-N-V-A dot com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's even here, and this is Stuff You Should Know, one of the best episode topics I think we've ever come up with. I agree. Uh, ironically, we're recording on a Thursday. I <laughs> know. It's Taco Thursday. Uh, but... I ate tacos for lunch, dude. I want a taco so bad, but I'm holding out until I see the next, like, good taco truck. Yeah, so what I did, and I'm going to shout out my favorite taco places at the end, but um, tacos, as most people know, aren't aren't the best delivery food because, they, you know, so you, you should eat right after assembly, basically, is your best yes, taco. Totally. Uh, that's why when you go to a taco truck or a taqueria, they're putting those things together right in front of your face. Uh, but there's a place in Atlanta called Bar Taco in Inman Park, which they're kind of fancy schmancy tacos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have a couple of really good ones, and they deliver a little taco kit, like a little bento box almost. Mm-hmm. You got your meat separate from your tortillas, separate from your fixins, and then you put it all together there at home. And it's uh, I got the uh, the pork belly that's flavored with uh, a pineapple sauce. It was sort of a El Pastor kind of flavor. Sounds like it. And then like a shredded beef. And boy, did it hit the spot after researching this for the past day and a half. I can imagine. I had an open-faced deli turkey sandwich with oh, with cheese. <laughs> I just was weeping while I was eating it. I could not have tacos. I tried to think of something else, but I got my tacos. I think that was the right thing to do. I'll tell you what else was the right thing to do, Chuck. Asking Dave Ruse to help us out with this one. Right? Because it turns out that Dave Ruse was apparently born to write this episode. <laughs> yeah. So, so just a little bit of backstory. Um, Dave and his wife moved to Mexico looking for adventure years and years ago. Uh-huh. And while he was down there, he being the journalist he was, uh, and, and meeting up with, like, really, really good authentic tacos for possibly the first time in his life, he decided he wanted to write a story, an article, about how we got from authentic, you know, real good Mexican tacos, like the ones you just described, yeah. to the kind of tacos we had in America as kids outside right. of Texas and California, which is like that crispy, hard shell, little ground beef, little taco seasoning, iceberg lettuce, tomatoes, and just shut up and eat it and don't ask for anything else. Which, by the way, I do love those. I think they those can are be delicious. Good. There's a place for them, but it's the yeah. same place that, that grilled cheese occupies. Yeah, exactly. You know, or your square pizza. Yeah, well, well, well said. So, um... The thing about Dave, though, is when he when he started researching this, he he found out like I guess he reached out to a guy named Jeffrey Pilcher <clears throat> as a source. Jeffrey Pilcher is a Latin American, or he's an historian of Latin America. Yeah. I don't think he's Latin American. Um, and it, Jeffrey Pilcher realized that he didn't know actually the answer to that question: how we got from authentic Mexican tacos to kind of blandish American tacos, right? Yeah, and I, it seems like he might have even, like Dave may have possibly been an inspiration for what ended up being the Jeffrey Pilcher book, Planet Taco, colon, mm-hmm. A Global History of Mexican Food, because he's even listed in the acknowledgments, right? 
Yeah, he thanks Dave uh, um, directly for helping come up with this idea. Amazing. I can't remember exactly how he put it. So, okay. So then now we fast forward to 2021. Mm-hmm. We asked Dave to help us with the tacos article. And Dave goes back to Jeffrey Pilcher's book that he helped inspire as a source for this episode. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty great. And Dave loved Mexico so much. He, uh, he ended up living there several different times for a total mm-hmm. of about nine years. The country he found so nice, he lived there twice. <laughs> thrice, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. Country so nice, he lived there thrice. It still works, yeah. It makes, I mean, I've done very little travel in Mexico. I've done some of the border town mm-hmm. stuff in Tijuana and Algodones, but uh, I really want to go south, south, south into central and south central Mexico. Uh-huh. Uh, I just got to do it. It's wonderful. I, I I worked at Mexicali Grill in college and ate Mexican food literally every day for three years. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of my favorite cuisines and favorite cultures in the world. It's pretty good. Love one it. of the things that really is kind of shocking um, about all this, though, Chuck, is the taco. The thing that pretty much everybody in the world associates with Mexican cuisine is possibly the the latest comer of all of Mexican, what we would identify as Mexican cuisine. Yeah. It's actually a fairly recent invention. And that's pretty much what this episode is going to be about. How the taco got invented and then how we got from an actual authentic Mexican taco to the Americanized kind of Taco Bell version of it. Yeah, and Dave makes a great point that, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s like we did, we had our, our uh, what's the brand again? Old El Paso? Yeah, the Old El Paso, like, taco kit-style tacos. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I still love them. You love them. There's a place for that. Uh, If you get – if you put that – pop that uh, taco shell in the oven and get it crispy, it's really a beautiful thing uh, as long as it doesn't break in half. It can get a little messy. Yeah. But while there's a place for those, uh, Dave makes the point, and I agree, that, like, we are truly in the golden age of tacos here in the United States because – it used to be, like you said, Texas and California, you could always get pretty good tacos once they came on the scene mm-hmm. in the 1950s or so. But now, every major city has world-class tacos. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, not just like taco trucks that somebody pulled up, and, and thank God for those as well. But I mean, like like multiple taco restaurants, taquerias, like authentic ones all over the place that, that are— that in just about any town in the country. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but it happened, and it's great that it did. Because it's not like people from south of the border started showing up in, you know, 2005, and then that was it, you know, and they yeah. brought tacos with them and, and that kind of cuisine. Like, there have been plenty of Mexican and Central American uh, immigrants that have moved up into the United States for a very long time, and they they did bring tacos with them, but for some reason, it, those authentic tacos just took a while to catch on. I think, Chuck, it, it was America that finally came around and caught up to what the, the uh, Mexican cuisine actually was, rather than being like, no, we don't want that. We want this Taco Bell version. Yeah, I think I agree. And when I said every major American city, I'm talking if you want, you know, 50 taco places to choose from. Right. Like Atlanta probably has that many. I've got... I looked on the map today out of curiosity. I counted like 17 taco places yeah. within literally three miles of my house. And those are just places that have taco in the name, right? Yeah. I mean, these were places that I, I mean, they weren't, I kind of threw some generic or not generic, just some overall Mexican restaurants in there that have really great tacos. Okay. Gotcha. But most of those were sort of taqueria style or taco trucks. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, Forget major American cities, like small towns, like you can find really good tacos everywhere in this country now. Yes. Yeah, the best the best taco I ever had actually was in some little I don't, countryside, rural area outside of Boston. I don't remember. We had a show in Boston, and then we had another show somewhere else that was within driving distance, and I was driving there. And no, okay. It was driving from Seattle to Portland. Oh, okay. Best taco I ever had, driving really? from Seattle to Portland in the middle of the, the, like, nowhere. And there was a taco truck, and they had a beef tongue taco, and it was hands down the best taco I've ever had. Yeah, I'm not in love with the tongue. I would, you know, when I worked at Mexicali in college mm-hmm. in Athens, there was uh, the guys in the kitchen would, 
they would make our food, but then on special days, they would make their own food for themselves. Mm-hmm. And Mexicali didn't have stuff like tongue. It was a bunch of frat boys and stuff that were eating sure. it, so they weren't into tripe and tongue. Yeah. But they would make that stuff, and I would always try it. Don't love the texture of tongue. I definitely don't love the texture of tripe. Uh, no. But I, I gave it a whirl. I did not like tripe. I would eat cabeza, which is cheek and jowl meat. I've from had the, the cheek tacos. Those are, I like those better than the tongue and tripe. I've never had beef cheeks, but I've had no. Actually, I guess I have had beef cheeks, but it wasn't in a taco. It was like prepared, like braised beef cheeks, and they were delish. Yeah, but give me some carne asada or shredded beef mm-hmm. or carnitas mm-hmm. or El Pastor. Uh, I'm down with chorizo, but that's probably lower on my list just because I like the others more. Yeah, I'll eat a fish taco. I'll eat a shrimp taco. I love those seafood tacos. I like it all. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, a good a good fish taco with some red cabbage slaw on there is pretty tough to beat, really. Yeah, and so I like let's the, just do the this. fried let's fish. Talk, we'll talk about the tacos that we like for the rest of this episode. I, <laughs> I like the fried fish and the stewed fish. They're I do all too. good. Yep, it is mm. all good. And so it's worth restating again, I think. We are living in a golden age of tacos here in the United States, clearly, because you can find all these tacos. And if you're not out there finding all these tacos and this sounds good, make a concerted effort to go find an authentic taco place and see what's what. And I'll bet you never really go back. That's right. One last taco that I love is the Korean taco. Yes. The little fusion tacos that are out now that are so delicious. Do you know the first time I ever even knew that existed was uh, Chad Crowley, who produced one of the producers on that show, had that catered some a Korean taco, Korean barbecue taco place somewhere over on the west side, had it catered. You were talking about like, hand cooked taqueria, my friend. Is that what it was? Okay. Yes. And and I it was like I don't I don't ever want to leave this craft services table. I just yeah. want to stand here and eat these tacos for the let's just call off the shoot and do this instead. Yeah, I still go there. Uh there's a lot of uh houseware places over there, so whenever Emily and I go over there to look at those, I always mm-hmm. pop into Hankook for some sesame fries and beef bulgogi yes. tacos. Yeah. And the guy there, dude, still recognizes me from stuff you should know, the TV show. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. He's like, it was no good, but I recognize you. Yeah, every time I go and he goes, hey, man, how you doing? You still doing the TV show? I'm like, for the 50th <laughs> time, no. <laughs> no. And he said, get out. Very nice guy, though, and delicious tacos. We got to shout out, though, Roy Choi, apparently, was the guy who came up with Korean barbecue tacos. So he's worth mentioning for sure, at least for that. So I guess we should really talk about tacos instead of just salivating and talking about our favorite tacos. Agreed, because... Like I said, tacos are fairly recent creations as far as Mexican cuisine goes. But one of the things that is essential to a taco, the tortilla, is actually very, very, very old. Yes, it is. And And technically, if you put something in a tortilla and eat it, Mm -hmm. you could describe it as a taco. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, basically since the domestication in southern Mexico of corn about 8,700 years ago, Mm -hmm. they have been – Grinding that stuff up, uh, flattening it out, and and cooking it near a fire. Usually, you know, back then, like on a hot rock, or you know, we saw in Guatemala, they were still doing this yeah. by hand every morning. Yes, some of the best tortillas you're ever going to have. Yeah, but that was it. Like then you have a tortilla after that, and they've been doing this for thousands of years. I think it was kicked off by the Maya who who figured this out. And then there was another really important innovation that the Olmec people came up with. And that was to take that corn and soak it in hot water with wood ash, which made an alkaline solution, basically. Mm-hmm. And that actually broke down the, um, the I think, the pericarp, the whole of the corn, um, and changed the corn nutritionally. Like, it made a lot of the stuff inside more bioavailable. So it took something that was already like, okay, this is this is fine. We can stay alive on this. And actually turned it into like a, a really nutrient-rich food. So the tortillas you're eating, um, as long as they've undergone a process called nixtamalization, um, is actually pretty, pretty healthy for you. Now, it sounds like you said the word tamale in there. Is mm-hmm, that right? I did, yes. Would you is like to there? spill the beans? I'm being coy. So, in the uh, Nahuatl language, the, the language of the Aztecs, uh, nextili was, means ashes, and then tamale, with an I, means unformed maize dough, which will sound familiar if you've ever had a tamale with an E on the end. 
Let me ask you this. Okay. Do you and Yumi ever do tacos yourself at home? Yeah, we do more like uh, just variations on taco salad typically. Okay. But, you know, yeah, we'll get like some blue corn tacos once in a while and fill them up. Or else we'll make, we'll get like some of those like um, some, usually we do flour though. Like the this, the ones you have to refrigerate, we'll get those, the loosey-goosey ones. Sure. Make some fish tacos with slaw, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we do sometimes. All right. I, if, if you ever want to just kind of take it to the next level. Okay. Uh, I highly recommend making your own tortillas. Get a tortilla press okay. and some maize or some masa maize mm-hmm. and just give it a whirl. It's it's They're a little tricky, but once you get the hang of it, it uh, it really just takes things to a stratosphere that I previously did not know. I can imagine. I'd never really even considered doing that, but I'm going to now. Yeah. get a, uh, Maybe I'll buy you a tortilla press. Would you accept okay. that? I you have to now. You just offered on the on the podcast. Right, I will great. hold you to that. Good. I'll send you mine and I'll get a new one. <laughs> uh, right. I'm just kidding. I'll be like, there's like old crusty dough on this one. <laughs> Actually, I've worn in. I don't know if there's anything to that, but if it's like cast iron, that may, oh, there may it's be something be. to that. Yeah, like seasoned. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Sure. So um, we've got nixtamalization, which makes the the stuff in the corn that was already there, like iron and vitamin B3, way more bioavailable, right? Yes. It actually sucks calcium into the corn, so it adds a lot of calcium. It fortifies it with calcium. Just this process of soaking the corn in wood ash and water before you turn it into masa. And then it also kills off mycotoxins, which can mess you up pretty good, fungal toxins that can be present on corn. And when you put all this together, especially if you... Add it together with some beans, you have what's called the complete protein, huh? That's right. And that means uh, you can indulge in those tacos and feel good about it. Uh, a complete protein is when you have the nine essential amino acids in uh, basically equal amounts. And here's the little trick to tacos, though, that make it special. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have beans and you're not a complete protein. You can have corn and you're not a complete protein. Yeah. But if you put those things together you do have a complete protein mm-hmm. because beans have all those essential amino acids but one. It's called uh, methionine, and corn does have that. So it's it's almost like it was meant to be. Yeah, corn's like, I'll, I'll help you out with some methionine, no problem. Yeah, oh, man, refried beans. I know. Uh, there's something about food that you when you know that they form some sort of like natural pattern yeah. just makes them even more satisfying and wholesome. Yeah, or when things come together to make a greater whole. Yeah, exactly. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break, and we'll get back to the, uh, we'll get to um, contact between the Spanish and the Mesoamericans. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. 
That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Wanna learn about a pterosaur and call it pterodactyl? How to take a perfect poop and all about fractals? Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, the Lizzie Border murders and the cannibal runs. Don't explain everything to your brain. Explodes. Just Chuck and Josh. This stuff you should know. Word up, Jerry. Okay, so um, we've got the invention of the tortilla. But that doesn't mean that tacos were invented yet. Um, one of the reasons why tacos, you can't say tacos were invented yet, is because um, Mesoamericans used tortillas for just about everything. I think the Spanish said that Montezuma, um, the, the emperor of the Aztecs, who was running the show when the Spaniards showed up in 1519, um, that he would uh, eat, he would basically use his tortillas as a, as a spoon. Yeah. Much, much the same way have you ever eaten Ethiopian food? Yeah, I mean, I do this with tortillas, but sure. You know, so there's, I can't remember the name of the bread, but they use that bread for, like, everything. It's just it's just generally a utensil as much as it is a food. And apparently that the, the Aztecs used to do that with tortillas, and I, I would guess Mesoamericans as a whole. So Dave points out quite rightly that you can't really say what they were eating were tacos, even though they might have even been putting stuff in these tortillas, in the way that you couldn't say that, you know— whatever you were eating was a sandwich because there was a, a loaf of bread on the table or a basket of rolls on the table uh, in, in the exact same way that that makes sense. Yeah, I remember when I went, when I lived in Yuma 25 years ago and I went to Algodones right over the border mm-hmm. for the first time and I saw the uh, the local Mexican population with these big plates of like stewed meat and they had the tortillas and I was like, oh, they're going to assemble that to a taco. But no, no, mm-hmm. they ripped it up and they would just use it to grab the meat and put it in their mouth. And I thought that's when the lights kind of went off. And, you know, I still love the the traditional taco too, but I also love to just put the stuff on my plate and use it as a spoon or a, or a grabber. Sure. It's like, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a kind of sushi. It's almost like deconstructed sushi mm-hmm. where they don't bother to turn it into a roll. It's just a bed of rice. And then they put all the stuff you would put in the sushi just on top of the rice. So it's technically not sushi, even though all of the elements are there. Yeah. And I do the same thing with Indian food, with the the garlic naan. Yes. Which, again, is another one of my favorite cuisines, too. Like, me Indian too. food. Oh, my God. I just <laughs> makes me so I, hungry. <laughs> I love, like, all food. Yumi's always saying, she, she's like, it, it doesn't really matter whenever you talk about how great a food is because you think all food is good. And yeah, it's true. Like, I love... Is. Just about all food. There's really not a food that I'm like, I don't like that wholesale, you know? Yeah, I know. One of my favorite hobbies is eating foods. <laughs> same, same it's so here. good. Uh, so the taco, though, back then, like you said, they were using these tortillas as spoons and such like that. And it was about the 
late 1800s that sort of the Mexican taco that we're familiar with finally kind of comes on the scene. Mm-hmm. So the word taco is kind of up for debate, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, taco was a word in Spain, you know, hundreds of years ago, but it didn't mean the food. It was, it meant a lot of different things, but right. one of the things that meant that's going to come into play with uh, the food was uh, it was like a plug or a tack stuffed into the barrel of a musket mm-hmm. to keep that ball settled. Uh, it also was like a, a shot of wine or a, a hammer or a, a billiard cue, you could call a taco. But mm-hmm. at the time, none of those words had anything to do with the food. No. So the word taco predates the food taco. That seems to be the clear the yeah. clear aspect of this, the clear upshot, as I would say. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. There's also, a, uh, there's also a rival to the Spanish word taco, T-A-C-O, and that's a, a Nahuatl uh, word taco <laughs> with an L in there, basically. Yeah. T-L-A-H-C-O. And it apparently means middle or half. And from everything I've seen, that is uh, an incorrect etymology for the the word taco as we understand it today. That it's just total coincidence. Right. But you might see some people claiming that, correct? Yes. But they are wrong from what I can tell. That's right. So to get from the musket plug to the food, uh, in Pilcher's books, he makes a – uh, a guess that I, I surmise that other people have also made that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Uh, with this story in Hidalgo, uh, it was a silver mining town, uh, Real del Monte specifically. And what the guys in the mine would do is they would work and the, uh, their uh, sometimes daughters and wives would bring them their lunch, which was something a lot like a taco, like uh, beans or that stewed meat or maybe some avocado and wrapped in a tortilla. Mm-hmm. And they would put it in a towel-lined basket where they get all nice and steamy and bring it down there for lunch. So while they're working in the mine, they're blasting holes in the rock, which they do by carving out a hole and then stuffing in an explosive, which they call the taco. Mm-hmm. So it might seem like a tenuous connection, but... In Mexico City in the early 20th century, there was a taco called Tacos de Monero, a miner's taco, mm-hmm. and some other variations, a Tacos de Canasta, tacos from a basket, or Tacos Sudados, sweaty or steam tacos. Mm-hmm. And that kind of draws the line, I think, pretty clearly. Yeah, and all three of those were basically different names for the same preparation where yeah. when you fried them and then you stacked them all together, you would cover them with like a, a little um, – a little like napkin or something like that um, in the basket to allow them to, to to steam themselves to finish right, and to me that's where the word taco comes from, not from the food wrapped in the tortilla, but from that kind of food wrapped up in that cloth napkin yeah. in the same way that they were wrapping an explosive in cloth and stuffing it in there. That to me is the is the the correlation rather than the food, the fact that it was in a basket wrapped up in fabric. Yeah, and food wrapped up in a tortilla. Sure. I mean, I get it. It's it's They're both possible. I'm just putting my own hypothesis gotcha. out there now, okay, everybody? You're like, it's not the tortilla, it's the napkin. <laughs> That's Honestly, it makes sense to me when we're gotcha. talking about explosive plugs wrapped in fabric, you know what I mean? How about an explosive, delicious food? Well, that's the thing. And I totally understand that they could have been like, there's a bomb in one hand and a food bomb in the (laughs) other hand. So I I get it. I'm with it. Uh, Taco in print, talking about a taco as food, uh, I believe for the first time was in 1891 in a novel called Los Bandidos de Rio Frio, Mm -hmm. The Bandits of Cold River. And there's a line in that book where they're talking about a celebration in Mexico City. And they say uh, Chito, which is fried goat with tortillas, and the children skipping with tacos of tortillas and avocado in their hand. Sounds great. What an idyllic little bucolic scene that is. I wish I was there. Yeah. Anywhere there's fried goat being served, I wish I was there. No, I'm not down with the goat, but sure. Oh, it's so I'm good. with you. Um, <laughs> <I can't>. oh, <laughs> so, um, so it seems to be, okay, we've got taco as a food. It's appearing in print by 1891 at the, at the latest, which means that if you're if you write something down this is basically true across history as we've seen in episode after episode if you write something down and you don't explain it that means to people coming 100 or so years later looking back at this 
that 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 means that this has been around and everybody already knows what this is. I'm just referring to something that everybody's familiar with. It's not a new invention. So somewhere between the time that people were creating these taco plugs in the silver mines in the middle of the 19th century, maybe the late 19th century, and 1891, tacos became a thing. They were invented somewhere in there. Yeah, and I mean, it was in an actual Mexican dictionary in 1895 mm-hmm. uh, defined as taco as the food and Mexico City as its birthplace. Yeah, it seems like Mexico City was ground zero for this place and that they they believed that by the turn of the 20th century, um, Mexico City was starting to become a, a bustling metropolis again. <laughs> Do tell. So apparently by 1910, Mexico City had become like a, a huge, a huge town of a people of a population of about half a million people, which is pretty significant, right? Sure. And this is 1910 when this happens. If you went back to 15, uh, about 1500, say about 400 years earlier, yeah, but right before contact with the Europeans. Um, the same city, Tenochtitlan, which Mexico City was built on, but the Aztec city that was there before, had about 400,000 people, just under half a million. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, I mean, you would think that by 1910, they would have over a million. Right, but they wouldn't, and one reason why is because the population took a nosedive both between conquest of the Spanish and the violence that broke out from that, but also even worse from the smallpox that the Spanish brought with them, which wiped out 40% of the uh, population of Tenochtitlan in one year. The year after contact, 40% of the city died from smallpox. Jeez, that's amazing. So it took that long to rebound. By all the way up to 1910, it 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 finally surpassed its pre-contact population. So 1910, things are cooking, literally, in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people from, you know, more rural Mexico had moved there to get work, uh, to work in the factories. And they were living in, uh, you know, small tenements, basically. And they didn't have these big full kitchens, usually, to work with. So this is where the the street taco or the taquerias really started to pop up, where you would go outside for dinner and you would go down to the street and find these delicious mouthwatering taquerias Uh, And they were, you know, they were bringing in influences from every corner of Mexico because, you know, Mexico is a huge country, just like, you know, the United States has and every country has like regional food specialties. Same is true in Mexico. And all of these different flavors were coming into central Mexico City and exploding onto the food scene there. Yes. I mean, the the varied and various cuisines that are brought by different peoples is not the not the least reason why multiculturalism is a great thing. You know, <laughs> agreed. And Mexico City is a melting pot at the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, all these people were bringing it, and, and not just from Mexico or every part of Mexico, um, but there were some influences like outside of Mexico too, like uh, Tacos El Pastor, right? The one you mentioned earlier that you got kind of a deconstructed version of today. Yeah, the, with that pineapple flavor, and that one I think has a a pretty interesting story which I never knew. It was uh, it originated in Lebanon. In uh, and specifically in the Mexican state of Puebla, we had these, uh, or they, I say we, I feel like I'm living in Mexico right now. After those tacos you had, <laughs> I can imagine why. Uh, had these Lebanon uh, or Lebanese immigrants settling there in the early 20th century, and they started selling their gyros, and they had those lambs on the vertical spit, mm-hmm. uh, like they still have today, and they were cutting off strips of it, putting it on a pita, uh, sometimes a flour tortilla. And in Pueblo, there were and still are known as tacos uh, arabes, which is Arab, uh, like Arab tacos. Mm-hmm. And the Mexicans there said, hey, they're really onto something here with this vertical spit, but let's throw a adobo pork butt up there instead. Mm-hmm. And, and throw a little grilled pineapple on there as well. And mm. they, you have what we recognize as tacos al pastor, which means shepherd's tacos, which is a reference to the uh, Bedouin roots of the Lebanese immigrants who came over. Great story. It is a great story. And actually, Chuck, that reminds me of another story I was talking about. I was boasting about how I love all food. Mm -hmm. There's actually um, one of the few things I've ever sent back in my life. Oh, no. Was at a Lebanese restaurant in Toledo called the Beirut, which may still be there. (laughs) And um, A little on the nose, but sure. And my family was, uh, was feeling pretty adventurous. 
and ordered a bunch of stuff off the menu. And one of the things we ordered, it didn't really sink in what we were ordering, but they brought out a bunt cake, a full-size bunt cakes, <laughs> a bunt pans worth yeah. of raw ground meat <laughs> covered in raw egg. Oh, my gosh. And it was just on this big plate. And it was like, dig in. And we were just like, we can't. We're, we, we can't. And I still to this wow. day feel bad about wasting that meat. Do you know what it was? Like what that dish is? I don't remember what it's called. Someone will let us know. I, I uh, sure, and I yeah, I think it was. I don't think it was like a, an invention of of that restaurant's owners or the cook, yeah, or the sure. chef, I should say. Um, but I haven't seen it very frequently since then. But it was. I, we just we we're like, no, we're not going to do that one. Well, I mean, hats off to your family in the 1980s in Toledo for going to a Lebanese restaurant. We didn't. We didn't. We had Chinese food, and that was about as crazy as we got. Oh, we got fancy. Not only did we go to the Beirut once in a while, we also sometimes went to N Japanese Steakhouse, which is a hibachi <laughs> steakhouse. So we got real ethnic sometimes. Yeah, that stuff was, we couldn't afford that. I'm not like you were rich or anything, but uh, we ate a lot at home, so we didn't even go out that much. So when yeah. we did, it was pretty conservative. But it, it wasn't until my 20s till I left home and got into college that I really started exploring foods of the world. Yeah, well, good for you for doing that. Some people never do, you know, especially if they were raised without being exposed to it. So that's good that you did. What's so great about multiculturalism? Food. The food. Beautiful babies. Yeah, beautiful babies, for sure. Plenty of stuff, different points of view, all sorts of great But really food. Sure. So you want to take another break and then get back to tacos continuing on? Because we finally reached the point where we're like, okay, tacos now exist, but they're pretty much being slung out of food carts in Mexico City right now at the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah, we're going to take a trip to Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. right after this. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And for a limited time, get more fun for less with the Michigan Bundle for just $49.99. Exclusive to Michigan residents only. 
Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Want to learn about a pterosaur and call it pterodactyl? How to take a perfect poop and all about fractals? Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, the Lizzie Borden murders and the cannibal runs. Don't explain everything to your brain. Explodes. Just Chuck and Josh. This stuff you should know. Word up, Jerry. All right. Smoggy, kind of uh, already overcrowded, gross Los Angeles in the 1940s and 50s mm-hmm. uh, was a very segregated place. Uh, there were plenty of Mexican residents. There were plenty of uh, black Americans. There were plenty of Asian residents. There were plenty of people. It was a melting pot. But they tended to um, – there was a white flight that happened, and they tended to live apart by the 1940s, uh, sort of the suburbs and the valley – uh, Orange County maybe is where a lot of white people fled to, and not entirely. But uh, if you wanted to live inside Los Angeles, like maybe East Los Angeles, you may have been from Mexico originally. Yeah, like Cheech Marin. Yeah, born in East L.A. Yeah, that's right. Man, what a great song that was. <laughs> so, um, in in so Jeffrey Pilcher, Senior Pilcher, um, he thought to look around at the. Um, I think he got his hands on some phone books from Los Angeles in the 40s and 50s and started looking up taco joints. Because remember, at the behest of one Dave Ruse, who would become a stuff-you-should-know legendary writer, Mm -hmm. um, Jeffrey Pilcher's on this quest now to figure out how we got to the Americanized version of tacos. So he's tracing it from Mexico City up to California, as Mm -hmm. one would do. And he did that by by looking at the... um, at the phone book. And what he found <laughs> is that outside of East L.A., you could find plenty of restaurants that were taco joints. But in East L.A., there were only two restaurants in the phone book that had the name taco in them, which would suggest, Chuck, that 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 they didn't eat tacos in, like, in authentic Mexican, uh, Mexican-American neighborhoods. But that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I think what has been surmised, and I fully agree, mm-hmm. is that there were plenty of places in East L.A. serving tacos. They just didn't feel the need to advertise it as a taco place to make it uh, – it, it was sort of – if you were a, a white American or a black American in the 1940s and 50s in L.A., uh, Mexican food might have seemed exotic and maybe a little dangerous to try. Uh-huh. Uh, like dangerous for your stomach, that is. Right, right, <laughs> right. So tacos was a safe sell, essentially, is what uh, has been speculated. Like to put taco on a sign, people are like, oh, well, I, I've heard of tacos. I can try this place out. Right. And so um, uh, Pilcher came up with some some pretty great names that he found in the, um, in the predominantly white, predominantly black um, neighborhoods in L.A. that had taco in the name. Um, apparently, the first one in Los Angeles that catered to uh, non-Mexican um, uh, customers was called Taco House, and that okay. opened up in the early 40s. It's a pretty legit name, especially if you're saying, hey, um, American people, um, uh, particularly white people and black people, Taco House. That seems approachable, right? You're not afraid of that. Come eat here. That makes yeah. sense. They didn't even say Taco Casa. No, that would be, well, no. That would have blown the minds back in the early 40s. Uh, I like any restaurant with town at the end, so Ernie's Taco Town kind of speaks to me. Yeah. How about Alice and Burt's Places? Burt's Taco Junction? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's good. I wonder if it was an old train caboose. Yeah, Alice's Taco Terrace, which is fine. Yeah, Frank's Taco Inn, that's a good one. I've never gotten why you would call a restaurant an inn. Because typically you sleep at an inn, you know? Yeah, I've never gotten that because we had Village Inn Pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I never got it. I tried to sleep there and it never worked. <laughs> no, I'm so full. <laughs> uh, and then in Watts, uh, which is a predominantly or historically at least black neighborhood, uh, you had Taco Kid and Taco the Town. Yeah, that's a great one for sure. Not I bad. Looked, Taco the Town is not around anymore. Oh, that's sad. But apparently there is a Taco the Town in... Maine, I believe. <laughs> oh, man. Maine tacos. I bet you even Maine has some good tacos here and there. <laughs> For sure. That For would sure. be the least likely state, I would say, like Maine and Alaska. Right. So, um, we've, got, we've gotten to the point where now there's tacos 
in Los Angeles, right? They've crept up. People mm-hmm. are starting to create them and uh, cater to non-Mexican and non-Central uh, American palates. Um, and a lot of people say, okay, well, it was actually Glenn Bell, the guy who founded Taco Bell, which did you know that there was a person with the last name of Bell that founded Taco Bell? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I didn't either. It's insane. Like, I, my my whole worldview's changed. Like Jimmy Hutt's uh, pizza chain. <laughs> right. I've got one for you, Chuck. Did you what? know that the very first Pizza Hut was in Wichita, Kansas? <laughs> really? Yeah. And oh, the wow. very first KFC, guess what city that was in? Oh, please tell me it's Kentucky somewhere. No. Where? S- Salt Lake City, Utah. What? Yeah, it's true. Wow. The colonel really was from Kentucky. Okay. But the first Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant was open in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. City. Huh. I think new. it's one of those things where it's like, if you open a thing based on a regional cuisine, the one mm-hmm. place that's not going to do well is in the actual region that that cuisine comes from. Well, they don't have Taco Bells in Mexico. No, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk of, we'll talk of that later. <laughs> All right. So, again, uh, Senior Pilcher, uh, I got to read this book. It sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about the fact that uh, if you were a Mexican immigrant and you were building a restaurant scene in the United States and you wanted to appeal to the Americans there, mm-hmm. then you might want to like source ingredients that they – you're probably not throwing tripe their way right out of the uh, the barrel, you know. <laughs> you like you might want to look at <laughs> the, the ingredients that are readily available um, that people like and like ground beef is one of them. So that ground beef as a central ingredient to those American tacos was really early on. Dude, I can't tell you how how late it was in life before I even had a chicken taco for Pete's sake. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It was all Same. ground beef. It was like that's mm-hmm. all there was, you know? Even if you went to a Mexican restaurant that was not really a Mexican restaurant, like we used to go to Chi Chi's. Yeah, ground beef. Ground beef in everything. <laughs> it was just ground beef. And actually yeah. that reminds me, Chuck, I turned up there's this um 1998 onion article that I remember from like 1998 it made that much of an impression on me. <laughs> yeah, what's the headline? Taco Bell's five ingredients used in completely new way. <laughs> <laughs> the article talks about how you've never had anything like this. Right. In this one, the beef is on top of the beans, which is on top of the cheese. It is funny how they do that still. Yeah. You know, just make these crazy combinations of the same thing. Right. But the upshot of all of this is that um, a lot of people lay or um, credit uh, Glenn Bell with inventing the Americanized taco, and that's not necessarily the case. It was some of these Mexican-American uh, immigrants who were creating these tacos to, to cater to American tastes, but then also based, like you were saying, on stuff that was easily obtained, cheap, because everybody knows restaurant margins are so thin, yeah. it's incomprehensible why anyone opens a restaurant if you're just trying to make money. Right. Um, and when you put all that together, people were making what you and I at age 10 would have recognized as a taco before Glenn Bell came along and started making tacos himself. Yeah, and a lot of people say, well, Glenn Bell at the very least invented the uh, the technology where you could fry up these tortilla, these corn tortillas into these perfectly little shaped taco shells. Mm-hmm. And he kind of did. It seems like it was one of the cases where a few different people all sort of had the same idea within a few years of one another mm-hmm. uh, without even stealing from each other. Yeah. Because uh, there was a man in 1949 in Arizona named uh, Joseph Pampa who filed an application for a deep fryer basket that made these perfect little taco shells. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a couple of years before them, there was another restaurateur named uh, Juvencio Maldonado. Great name. Mm-hmm. And he actually won the patent out of New York City in 1947. Uh, But Glenn Bell also created his own version, it seems like, independently. Yeah, and the reason why everybody was having this kind of same idea at the same time is because part of, like, the zeitgeist at the time as far as food went was the idea that fast food was awesome. And creating food quickly and efficiently was thrilling. Um, Because prior to this, if you made tacos, you made the tacos as— you know, as ordered, to order. And you took these uncooked flour tortillas and then you fried them up and made tacos that way. And this was like, no, no, it, just imagine if you had the shells already ready, it would save so right. much time and knock these Bobby Soccer's socks off. Right. And if you happen to break the shells, it's a nacho. Exactly. That's, 
That's what my T-shirt says. Uh, so in 1948, Glenn Bell has opened a hot dog and hamburger stand in San Bernardino, in San Berdu, California, mm-hmm. uh, across from the original McDonald's, if you remember that episode, which is pretty fun, mm-hmm. which started out as a barbecue restaurant. And he was doing okay. He wasn't doing that great. But he, he noticed across the street there was a, rex, uh, a Mexican restaurant called, uh, I guess it's the Mitla Cafe, M-I-T-L-A, mm-hmm. that had been open since 1937 by the Rodriguez family. And it was it was not a taco uh, stand. It was like a full sit-down, full-service restaurant, open breakfast, lunch, and dinner that was killing it. And he was like, I got to get me some of that. Yes, and we've reached the point where um, I, I want to point out that Dave Ruse is a born food writer because the, the reason <laughs> yeah. both of us wanted tacos so bad is be, in large part because of Dave's really great descriptive writing. Agreed. But he talked about how, like, the Meatla Cafe, it wasn't a taco joint, but they had killer tacos, and they had um, something called Tacos Dorados, which is a golden fried taco. And he said that at night, young people would show up at the Meatla Cafe craving a quick bite, and the bestseller was a freshly fried bag of Tacos Dorados, golden fried tacos. <laughs> that is good food writing. It makes me hungry. Uh, yeah. Imagine that. And these are essentially taquitos, right? Yeah, they would take a, a corn tortilla, put ground beef in it, r- roll it up, put a toothpick in it to hold it together, and then fry that. And then they would put the cheese and the lettuce and the tomatoes on the outside. And I shouldn't say would because Meat La Cafe is still there, and they still serve um, tacos dorados. Yeah, it's taquitos. I love it. Sometimes I'll get taquitos. Sure. Yeah, if at you stop place. at a racetrack or something. No. <laughs> or the quick trip. Yeah. Have you ever seen those, like, they look like a taquito and a hot dog, like, made love or something? I'm not even sure what it is. That sounds hot. <laughs> uh, no, I like taquitos in a, in a place, or flautas is another name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of the chimichanga, which is different. That's yeah. like a deep-fried burrito. but That's you know, an American put, invention. Yeah, put anything in a fryer basket, and I'm all over it. Dude, I'm with you. But also that sauce that's peculiar to the chimichanga is so good. It is. Oh, man. And plus, it's just fun to say when you order it. Yeah, I haven't found a great one here in Atlanta near me because all the places near me are a little more authentic and they don't have them. Uh, oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, you, um, you yeah. <laughs> like, there are places near me, but I just don't go there. <laughs> right. But, they're, but yeah, if it's authentic, they're probably not going to have a chimichanga. That's an American, American Mexican food. Or it's a Mexican place that's catering to Americans. Right. Exactly. So the reason that we're bringing up the Meat Like Cafe is because this is where Glenn Bell learned to fry up tacos, to make tacos. And it's not entirely fair to say that he stole the idea from the Rodriguez family who were running the Meat Like Cafe and came up with the Tacos Dorados because he, Glenn Bell, became a regular customer there. But he was there not just to enjoy the food, but to kind of like spy on them and watch the process and figure (laughs) out how to do it. And there is a guy named Gustavo Arellano. Arellano. He wrote Taco USA, colon, How Mexican Food Conquered America. And he's the guy who seems to be the one who really turned up the story about how the Meat La Cafe was the the basis of Taco Bell originally. Um, In that... With the, when the Rodriguez family figured out that that um, that that Glenn Bell wanted to learn how to make tacos Dorados and was mm-hmm. kind of surreptitiously learning by spying, mm-hmm. they invited him into the kitchen to teach him how to do oh, it. Wow. They just showed him how to do it. See, what a great culture. So exactly. So um, Glenn Bell went off and he um, basically he he started he went from making hamburgers and hot dogs to making tacos based on the Tacos Dorados thing. But he was also combining it with inspiration from the McDonald's brothers across (laughs) the street who had gotten into really efficient, fast food. So he was trying to figure out how to make Tacos Dorados as fast as possible. Yeah, I mean, this is where he comes up with his uh, 1951 frying contraption. Uh, And we should point out when it, it was a very sort of Americanized version of the of the taquito. He actually topped his with chili dog sauce <laughs> from his hot dog days. I'm not going to hate on that. I bet it's delicious. Sure. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, but he was looking to open up his first taco restaurant in 51, uh, and he did so. And a consultant was helping out with the naming. And they said, what about uh, La Tapatia? Sure. 
which is uh, a nickname for a woman from Guadalajara. And he said, yeah, La Tapatia is great, but how just how about just Taco Tia? And they said I that like means that taco ant. That makes no sense. You know, no. That's fine. Sure. What's well, an ant who loves tacos? It makes sense to me. Yeah, an aunt rather, not a not an insect ant. <laughs> right. To be to be clear. So he had taco tia, um, and then he went on. He's like, I really like this taco thing. I'm going to start another chain with a couple of Rams football players. They created El Taco, and that yeah. went well for four years. And he sold out his portion of that. And then he finally created the first Taco Bell in 1962 in Downey, California. Right. 1962. Diarrhea is born. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. Like we've talked about it before. I'd never, ever have it. But uh, I had it once about four or five months ago Mm -hmm. for the first time in a couple of years. And it was Mm -hmm. so good. Mm -hmm. And I had diarrhea. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why you'd associate that with that, huh? It was worth it, though. So the first one, they call it Taco Bell Numero Uno, the one in Downey, California that he opened in 1962. It is one of the most adorable buildings you'll yeah. ever see in your life. The it's sign great. is awesome. The front, the the um, the overhang is awesome. It's in a mission revival style. Um, and actually, Glenn Bell envisioned it as kind of like a community center. So like he had fire pits. There was like mariachi music and dancing. It was way more than it, it, it should have been as just yeah. a, a taco joint, a fast food taco joint. And it took off really quickly. Within five years, he had 100 stores open. Yeah, and they, you know they still even in the eighties and seventies use the similar signage. I, like when I saw Taco Bell Numero Uno, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what they call it. By the way, we're not just trying to be cute. No, um, not us. I recognize. <laughs> <laughs> Never. I recognized that sign immediately. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that from when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And they did have sort of, and they still sort of have that mission. You know, that sort of stucco look right. to the restaurant. Until the 90s. I ran across an Architectural Digest blog. It said, we legit want our apartments to look like 90s Taco Bells. Because there's a lot of, like, weird <laughs> Memphis style mixed in. But um, it was, I remember when it transitioned from the old Oh, they style. don't have those now? No, not really. It's way more slick looking. Okay, I haven't really noticed. There was a there was a big transition. There's actually been a couple since that one where they went from the ones where we were kids to the 90s versions. Yeah. And it was a sad day. I remember being like, something's been lost here. I don't like this new stuff. Yeah. It looks like Zach Morris <laughs> took over and redesigned the whole thing. Uh, I, well, that's just because the big uh, mural of Screech on the side. <laughs> right. R.I.P. Uh, Screech in a sombrero. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he died, didn't he? He did. Very sad. Lung right. cancer, even though he didn't smoke. Jeez, that's terrible. Yeah. Uh, I remember Del Taco, too. That was the other big one uh, growing up, and that went out of business eventually. But uh, Del Taco and Taco Bell were the two biggies. Taco Bell or Del Taco still around. Is it? Oh, yeah. they all I, shut down, no? I had another's Del Taco by my house, um, not very far away from it. And it's it's I had not had it until ever, oh, wow. until maybe 2019, 2020. I think they've slimmed, though. I don't see those much anymore. It seemed yeah. to be like a legit rival, the Taco Bell, but Taco Bell squashed them with a tortilla press yeah, cause in there's a big like, way. Just in the U.S. alone, there's 7,000 Taco Bell locations. That is a lot. And they're all over the world except Mexico. Yeah, they tried in 1992 and 2007 to open up Taco Bells in Mexico City, and they did, and That's they just an did not go very far. <laughs> But they, they're, um, and I think in 2015, there was a campaign to save Taco Bell Numero Uno because they were going to demolish it. There was actually a KFC slash Taco Bell across the street from it. And um, that, that lot where Taco Bell Numero Uno was, was being redeveloped. And there was a campaign to, to save it. And they moved it. In 2015, they moved it, I think, 45 miles from Downey to Irvine, where Taco Bell's headquarters is. And yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of stories on this online, but I would recommend you go to Pee Wee Herman's website, peewee.com. Yeah. Uh, there's a really, really, I, I found the best article was there because it has all kinds of pictures of the restaurant now wrapped up in the parking lot of the headquarters. And then there's a video, there's pictures of it going down the freeway uh, on a truck with mm-hmm. – uh, you know, the extra wide load with a police escort. And like there were 20 or 30 cars of like people that like took the two hour journey honking their horns and stuff. Yeah. So it's really kind of a fun story. Uh, they sadly haven't found a place for it still. Cause I saw a follow up last year 
Um, they're still looking for a permanent home for it, though. Yeah, it, apparently it's still just, like you said, wrapped up in the parking lot um, <laughs> yeah. in a tarp on the trailer still, just kind of off in a corner of the parking lot, which is a hopefully not the end of the place, I guess. Uh, and big shout out to the conservation group, We Are the Next, because they're who uh, headed up that whole plan Very to nice. save a building that a lot of people would say is not historically significant. Sure. You should have sent me that Pee Wee Herman link. I would have liked to have seen that. I love that guy. Oh, you didn't see it? No. I mean, it had all the same stuff. It just had a couple of cool pictures. Gotcha. Um, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Okay, well, if you want to know more about tacos, go eat some tacos. Find some authentic ones and see what you think. Uh, and since I said see what you think, it's time for listener mail. Well, before listener mail, I did promise to shout out my favorite taco places. So uh, can we do that? Yeah, let's, man. And you feel free as well. Uh, in San Francisco, Taco Bar. Okay. Right there in uh, sort of Lower Haight. I'm sorry, not Lower Haight, Lower Pacific Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, Los Angeles, Yuccas and Los Feliz was one of my favorites. Okay. Uh, Senior Fish in Eagle Rock. And then there was one called uh, Seven Mares uh, in Silver Lake that I think closed down but has now opened up as Playita. And it was very seafood-focused. Mares like mares of a town or mares like horses? Like horses. I gotcha. I think it was El Siete Mares was how you would really say oh, it. very pretty. Seven See, mares. You wouldn't know that if it, if it weren't for <laughs> multiculturalism. They had really good uh, ceviche, really good seafood. Uh, and then here in uh, Atlanta, El Tesoro and Kirkwood. Uh, Mescalitos in Oakhurst. Mm. Any place on Buford Highway. Sure. You're going to get good, authentic uh, Mexican food and tacos. So those are my shout outs. Yes. Do you have any? No, I don't. I need to get out to more taco places, apparently. Shout out to the the uh, food truck whose name I did not get in between Seattle and Portland that one time. Yeah, Slater Kenny Tacos is what it's called. <laughs> That's right. All right, All so right. listener mail? Listener mail. I'm just going to call this nice email from a nice human. Okay. Uh, hey, guys, wanted to share with how your show is helpful and enjoyable to me and how I used my experience to help a friend. Uh, my friend started new medication and messaged me expressing insomnia troubles that came on as a result i empathize and explain how i actually use stuff you should know to help me fall asleep when my mind is running 100 miles an hour i put on an older episode with a sleep timer and let my brain focus on the topic of discussion also find your voices really calming probably because i'm so familiar with hearing them almost every day for the past few years Uh, of course i suggested speaking to her doctor too but i encouraged encouraged her to look into your podcast uh, even just for the general curiosity and enjoyment Uh, Since my husband and I moved overseas for his military obligations, I find your show even more important in my life because I feel connected uh, to the routines and the life I was used to living before we moved. Thanks for all the hard work you put into each episode. Your content and enthusiasm truly bring a joy and brightness to this world. I'm extremely grateful. Hope you have a wonderful new year of 2022. I look forward to continuing listening for as long as you're willing to make episodes. That is from Katie Fratonali. Very nice. Thanks a lot, Katie. I remember, I've probably said this before a million times. I used to take, not offense, but I used to be like, what exactly does that mean when people said that they use this to fall asleep? And then sure. I was like, no, this is, that is a high honor that you can put people <laughs> to sleep, you know? Yeah, you're in bed with somebody and you're soothing them. Yeah, especially if they have trouble sleeping, like on a, to a clinical degree and you can help them. That is, I mean, I'm going to have that put on my on my tombstone. You should. He could put people, people sleep. to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And now he's sleeping. The big sleep. <laughs> it's a little birdie. Yeah. Workshop it. Um, all right. Well, if you want to be like Kate. Katie. Oh, sorry. Katie. If you want to be like Katie and send us a great email like Katie did, uh, you can send it to us at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s, dance away with hip-hop beats, and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.